Glowing Older is a coaching firm that supports people to create plans for aging well. Through facilitating conversation, presenting options, and identifying resources, Glowing Older provides curated, personalized service to help our clients discover what's possible for the third act of life. This is our podcast. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on the business of aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so pleased to be here today with Helen Dennis, syndicated columnist, author, and lecturer specializing in aging and the new retirement. Welcome to the program, Helen. Well, hello, Nancy. Glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. So before we dig into all that you're doing today, please tell us about your background. Uh, Let me do it in two brief parts. Uh, One is evolution. There's some people who go about a career very strategically. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I discovered aging, if you will, when I was in graduate school, looking for a topic for my thesis. And I wandered into the library. I picked up a book on cognition and aging by Walter Scheib. I never thought about that. That was an intriguing topic. And at the same time, my father-in-law was terminally ill with cancer in a facility. So while I was doing academic work and some personal work, This whole notion of aging just was intriguing. May I add, this was in 1974, (laughs) many years ago. That catapulted me to have a conversation with someone at the University of Southern California. But believe it or not, someone at my school, nobody really knew anything about aging to tell me if my thesis topic was meritorious. I ended up at USC having a fabulous conversation. One thing led to another, and they offered me a job. That is how I got into the field of aging. And as I worked into the specialty of retirement as also work, I was given my first assignment to host a three-day event at USC for 1,000 people on the topic of work, aging, and retirement. That piqued my interest in the content. So that's how I ended up in this content area. But to tell you a little bit about background of work, um, I made my career then at the Davis School of Gerontology at USC, where I directed programs and developed courses and taught courses on retirement, retirement planning, aging and business, aging and marketing. Um, So I taught there for a number of years um, and then became self-employed. Uh, I've had incredible opportunities in my career. I've worked with, I've done a lot of retirement education with about 25,000 employees looking forward to the future in not a clinical setting, but an educational setting. I've done some expert witness work. I've done a lot of speaking engagements. I've developed programs on how to get older workers back into the workforce, how to prevent age discrimination. Um, Fortunate I was chair of five different nonprofits that were age-related. So I have been extremely fortunate in my career, and I love it as much as when I started um, over 40 years ago. Well, it just add, goes, yeah, go ahead. One thing. I think my people ask you why, you, why do you do what you do? One reaction is my core, I think, is an educator, and it gets expressed in a variety of different ways. And I think education is a very powerful change agent. So as I look back on my years, I think that has been a connecting thread. Well, it just goes to show how new this industry really is. I mean, it's like 
you you were really building some things that um, were very unique at the time. And today you have a column um, on aging and retirement and more than a, a thousand columns that you put out. So tell us some of the largest themes um, that you cover. Yeah, I can tell you about the largest themes, but I also want to add initially what I have learned in doing this. <clears throat> people want to be heard. They want information that they can consume without suffering. Um, and they want something that's relevant. Um, and I found that has been, if you will, a formula that has evolved. And I also will add, each column is really, my readers don't know it, a public education piece. There is a content piece in the center of each column. But some of the themes which are really dominant, one that runs through so many issues is ageism. Whether it is in employment, whether it is in healthcare, where you're, you're sitting in a room with your aging aunt and the doctor only talks to you, and ignores the end. Um, also, we know that older people are included in a lot of research. Um, so I would say ageism, ageism is a theme that, co that goes through a lot of things. Um, a lot of it is on relocation, but I think the biggest, probably the biggest ones are on losses, uh, whether it's losses of a loved one, physical losses, a job loss. Um, another one is really caring for loved ones in later life that become more dependent, as we call it in caregiving. That's another big one. And I think one of the biggest worries that gets expressed is, I can't remember where I put my keys. Is this the first stage of Alzheimer's? Um, <laughs> the notion of uh, the fear of dementia is a very big fear. Um, you know, sometimes it's a simple, it sounds simple, like birthdays. I can't believe I'm going to be 80. And I'm very nervous about this. And I don't know how people will treat me. It's kind of this self-inflicted um, ageism and fear that you will be seen as a different person when you're older. So sometimes it's uh, looking for a geriatrician. How do I find one? And we know there are only about seven and a half thousand board certified geriatricians in the US. Um, so people are looking for support, reassurance, information, and it's not only for themselves. Sometimes it's their loved ones. Sometimes it's their adult children. Sometimes it's grandchildren. But the overarching concern um, is loss, change, and the ability to adapt and keep your health and independence. So that's a long answer to your question, but the questions are so diverse. I do not talk about finances uh, or medical issues because I'm not an expert in that area. So it's a breadth of things. It's a breadth of topics. Well, uh, you're you're a, a professional yourself, an educator and, and a business professional. And um, one of the, um, the issues that you talk about a lot is, is are the challenges of retirement. Um, so I'm sure that ageism and, and a lot of the things you just mentioned that are um, popular topics in your column are also issues that come up in, in workplace issues and retirement. So what, what are some of these challenges that you hear again and again and some of the solutions for them? So you're so right. Uh, a big topic that people write about is retirement. You know, every it's a case where every case is different, but there's some similar threads. 
um, a lot of it depends on the meaning that work had for the individual. If work was their total identity, both in the substance of work, their emotions, their relationships, this transition can be pretty difficult. I would say one of the biggest issues is how do you find a new sense of purpose? Um, how do you how do you even begin this process? Because you've been so busy for the past 30 or 40 years that you never even thought about it. So what is your new place in this new environment? I think that's that's probably an overarching one. It's one of identity. Um, but another issue that comes up is if you have a mate, sometime your mate has a very different view of retirement and it is never discussed. So that often comes up. There isn't a an overall solution, but let, let's assume I would say finance is an issue is in as is an issue, and it's not one that I address directly. But it's really what do people do with this newfounded time? Um, should it be leisure? Should it be purpose? How do you not overcommit? Um, so retirement is a very is a very a very big issue. And again, everybody approaches it differently. My general recommendation is, I say, give yourself a break. <laughs> give yourself a break and just take a deep, a lot of deep breaths. And think about, think about what brings you joy and pleasure. And I was would say, take some calculated risks. You know, in, in searching for a job, you shadow someone. Well, in retirement, go shadow someone who you think has a great retirement. Um, a solution is talk to people who you think have done a pretty good job. What are the lessons they can share? And I'll go back to say, take some calculated risks. People may be doing something different, but at the same time, there are people who would like to continue doing something they've always done in a different way. You have been, uh, you've had a, an economic position in a company and you love figures. Well, Check out your local boards. Maybe you could be the treasurer. So some people like to continue, and some others say this is a whole new a whole new period of life. I don't even know how to begin, but I say take a step back um, and think about what you love to do. Do you like to work with people? Do you like to work alone? Do you like to be indoors? Do you like to be outdoors? Um, give yourself a little bit of a, I would say a self-review of what brings you joy and pleasure and make a list and see how that translates into some activity so well, does you, that yeah, yeah um, you had mentioned um earlier a, a, a couple times coming up in your column and um and the issues of retirement that whole idea of internalized ageism that that, that unconscious bias that we might have even against our older selves um, so what, what, what advice would you give um, to people to combat ageism against themselves? Well, I think the overall answer is to be informed and self-aware, but how does that happen? So I think it has to be two sides. The one side, we on the professional side that have some information, we have to be able to convey that in a very consumable way. I will give you an example, uh, an initiative of the American Society on Aging is um, an Ageism Awareness Day, which is going to be October 7th, 2024. 
Um, I'm sorry, it is 2023. <laughs> so that's going to be a whole program to increase awareness about ageism. On the other side, we need to become more self-aware and to speak up. When we hear something that we think is ageist, we need to say something politely. I'm going to give you a quick example. I belong to an organization, <clears throat> which was a membership organization. And someone on the board said, we need more young, energetic, creative people on this board. I quietly raised my hand. I said, have we ever thought about middle-aged and older creative, energetic people? And there was silence in the room. So I'm saying we, we each have a role to play as a change agent in ageism. Self-aware, speak up. If you read something and you think it's been ageist, for example, the term elderly is used for a 60-year-old person who is vital, you can write a little note, a little email, and say, you know, elderly really could be something else. Um, we have to be advocates for ourselves and, and for families and community. Let me add one other piece. I think we have a role to play with our families and our friends. I mean, these are the people who love us, and they're going to take our comments <laughs> in a positive way. So I would say, listen to your family, listen to your friends, listen to your nonprofit people, and listen carefully on what they express and respond. But I think you call, call it the low-hanging fruit. Start with people who are close to you and also then expand on what you read and what you hear, but speak up. Yes, I mean, the World Health Organization talks about uh, you know policy change, education, and intergenerational connections as being three ways to combat ageism. Um, certainly interacting with the different generations is a great way. We can't change policy, but becoming educated and aware is something that we can all do. So let me pick up on a point you mentioned. There are some who say if we had more intergenerational relationships, there would be no ageism because everyone would have a realistic relationship and sense of aging. Um, so the importance of intergenerational relationships is extremely important and certainly is one way. I wanna add one more thing on policy. Policy is very important, but we have to change attitudes. We have to change the way people think. And the policy is a beginning, but it doesn't, it is just one way and it has, it's very important, but it has to have more behind it. It has to have some, people have to have a some sense of why this is important, how it applies, um, and that it's not just the law. It's the way we think and the way we behave. Yeah, I mean, that that is, is certainly true. Um, so I am digging into your book, Project Renewment, that you can buy on Amazon. Um, talk to us about the renewment movement, where you started and where you are today. So this started in 1999, where my good friend and colleague, Bernice Bratter, who was finishing her second uh, position as executive director, called me and said, is there anything done for career women moving to this next chapter? Because she says, I'm having a hard time. Um, I said, Bernice, we are not on the radar. <laughs> No one talks about it. No one cares. So we got together to see 
is there an issue here we can talk about? It was a four hour lunch. So she says, well, you invite some like-minded people. I'll do the same and see if there's something to talk about. It was a four hour dinner. So for the next five years, we proceeded to meet once a month to talk about issues that were important for career women who were passionate about their work, who made an impact, and now are feeling like they're falling off a cliff. Um, we had no intention, we actually recorded our conversations for five years, and we had no intention to expand, except there were other women on the west side of Los Angeles that said, gee, sounds like an interesting group. Um, can we join? Well, you know, it's hard to walk in the middle of a group if you formed a group. We said, you know, we'll help you start one. And then there was another group and another group. So P.S., over the next few years, 35 to 40 renewment groups grew throughout the country and meeting in someone's home and talking about one topic per meeting. So renewment is a forum, a community of career women that supports and inspires these women, usually 55 and over, um, for a transition from work to retirement and then for a lifetime. So we had to add to the lifetime because our group has now met for 23 years. I mean, I was 23 years younger. It was a different life stage. And what we realized is there's no graduation. Transition and change is part of life. So renewment continues beyond work. So phase one of renewment was person-to-person -person small group conversations. Jump to phase two, the pandemic hits, people can't meet. So Bernice and I decided, well, let's make up something. We'll call it the virtual renewment roundtables. First come, first serve. There are 15 seats around this table. Well, round one, seats were filled. Then we had a waiting list, another waiting list, another waiting list, and another waiting list. And so group 15 has just formed. We've combined some of the groups. They meet once a month on a topic that's relevant um, for one hour. So that's how it has morphed now into virtual. And lately, this is a, a recent event, we now have a formal collaborative relationship with the University of Southern California's Emeritus Center. Um, and USC has just launched the first female faculty renewment group of women who are close to retirement and looking to that next chapter. So this has morphed. I saw this is, for me, this is the great experiment. It is organic, um, it is enriching, and it gives a forum, an opportunity for women to, like, when I say like-minded women, I will add, my observation is one of the things these women have in common is that they are not, <clears throat> they're not satisfied with the status quo for themselves or their community. So that means everyone open to, is open to learning. Everybody's opening to sharing. Everybody's opening to contributing. It is not a traditional support group. It is not psychotherapy. All of these women are very well put together women, but are looking to create the next chapter in a way that's most meaningful uh, to themselves, their family, their community. So it's been a very exciting ride and it continues to grow. And it spans several generations. You know, we're talking about um, the elderly, but um, I'm 58. So it's like you said, 55 plus. So a lot of these women are are talking about 
renewment, which is the combination of renew and retirement. I love that word. And how do you encourage younger women, say that, you know, the 55 years away from retiring to start planning for that third act in advance? Let me add one more thing. Um, one of the things we observed in renewment, one of the things we observed in renewment is that people talked about different things, different topics, at different life stages, because you mentioned multiple generations. There's a difference between a 55-year-old and an 80-year-old. Because when people were in their, let's say their 60s, they were talking about, who am I without my business card? What does productivity mean? And as we moved along later 60s, early 70s, more practical things, relocation, caregiving. Later in the 70s, people were talking more about existential issues, legacy, what is my footprint in life? Moving into the 80s, health became a little bit more important. So your point is, depending on the life stage, the topics change. But going to your question, how do we encourage younger women to start planning? They need to be informed and they need to be aware which puts a responsibility on us to tell the story with impact that makes them aware and willing to move forward to think about their own future. Um, they may, you may look at parents' experience as a starter. Do they think that their parents did a good job? What can they learn from them? Um, but most of it is deals with education and awareness. But I say, that doesn't happen in a vacuum. They have to have access to that kind of information that they can consume. That's not going to be torture for them. Um, and actually, that's one of the things we, we try to do with the book, because you, you may notice we have some illustrations that these are serious issues, but please don't take yourself too seriously. Have a chuckle once in a while. Um, but information, information, tell the story effectively. And I would say, if you can take some younger women under your wing and mentor them and coach them and offer yourself as as a coach, um, that opportunity is there. That sounds like a great plan. And do you see uh, um, ageism and, and the whole idea of terror management theory, you know, it just being so frightening to think about aging as standing in the way of people planning because they just don't want to think about it? Your point is right on. Um, aging, regardless of the data that we have and the research we have and all the publications we have, ages, aging is still a hard sell. <laughs> True. Hard sell. Um, and, and so we have to figure out how to make it palatable, if you will, make it aspirational. Um, and I think that's why I called my columns, you know, successful aging as opposed to seniors, which what, 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 what it was before. We have, we have to frame, we have to frame aging in, in realistic and positive terms. So I'm not sure I answered your question. Well, and both, you know, it's like uh, you said those two words, realistic and positive, uh, be, because not everything gets better with age, but certainly certain things do, right? <laughs> I think that's the other thing. It's not all perfect. There's some really, awful things about aging. You know, there are, we are more vulnerable to disease. We are more vulnerable to disease and, and disability. So we have to be realistic, but also emphasize the opportunities. Yes. I, I think that's what we're short on. 
Well, that's what Renewman is doing so well. So obviously it's it's expanded organically, as you mentioned, because there's such a huge need for normalizing these types of conversations. Yeah, and I think normalizing is the key here. So when you find that someone is doing, um, I don't know, they're, they're running at the age of 75, um, they're starting a new career, they become an entrepreneur. Today, these are feature stories. So hopefully there's a time when these kinds of activities are normalized, they aren't exceptions. And I think we're moving towards that as we kind of redefine life stages. Um, I think it doesn't happen easily, but I think that's the tra trajectory. That's the tra trajectory at the moment. Well, Helen, you are a perfect example of, um, of all these uh, things of, of continuing to be active and um, helping people and finding purpose, all those things, you're a perfect example. But what gets you most excited these days? I think it's the potential of older adults um, and the opportunities for older adults to be healthy, to be fit, the opportunities to live a life that has meaning and purpose, filled with joy, um, new opportunities to learn and grow, and opportunities to make a difference, whether it's your family or community or your local government, um, and making a difference really to give back to causes. So I, I see the exciting future as one of opportunities. Um, they have to grow. And the challenge is the opportunities may be there, but do we know about it? How do we communicate it? How do we change a mindset that later life is a period of growth and opportunity and change? I think for me, that is the most exciting for, for older adults to lead the best life they can be and to be the best they can be, even if they have a chronic condition, even if they have are in a wheelchair that they are living the best life that they can. So that would be my dream. Um, that's part of the dream of renewment. That's part of the dream of my successful aging column and probably underlying most of my work, the underlying belief that the human potential in later life is much greater than we are aware of. And it's our opportunity to go pursue it. So true. Well, as Dr. Bill Thomas says, that um, there are a lot of the things about getting older are not visible, uh, though the benefits are not visible. And I think you're making them visible through your column and through renewment and all that, uh, because we might not be able to run a quarter mile sprint as well as we could in our 20s, but there's certainly things that we can do better that we, than we, in our 20s. Exactly. So uh, I think aging is here to stay. <laughs> uh, I think it's a growth industry. Um, we just have to get tuned into it as a time of opportunity. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Helen. I really appreciate all that you're doing. Thank you, Nancy. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. 